Welcome, folks, to my backyard. I'm going to tell you a little story. This one starts with a bloke called Joseph, 17 years old, helping out his 11 brothers with herding the flocks. But these were mostly his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wives, Bilhar and Zilpah. And Joseph brought bad reports about them to his father, Jacob. Now, Jacob, it's a bit tricky, he's also called Israel. He loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he was the child of his old age. And he made him an elaborately embroidered coat. When his brothers realised that their father loved him more than them, they grew to hate him. In fact, they wouldn't even speak to him. Now, Joseph had a dream. And he said, hey, brothers, listen to this dream I had. We were all out in the field gathering bundles of wheat, and all of a sudden, my bundle stood straight up, and your bundles circled around it and bowed down to mine. Now, after this, they hated him even more. And they said, so, you're going to rule us? You're going to be the boss of us? And Joseph had another dream. And again, he told his brothers, boys, I had another dream. The sun and the moon and 11 stars bowed down to me. Now, when his father Jacob heard it, he reprimanded him. What's all this dreaming about, boy? Am I and your mother and your brothers all supposed to bow down to you? So his brothers were jealous and his dad wasn't sure what to think. Joseph's brothers had gone away with their father's flocks. And Jacob said to Joseph, go and see your brothers and the flocks. See how they're doing and bring a report back to me. So off he went. Now his brothers spotted him off in the distance. And by the time he got to them, they'd hatched a plan to kill him. And blame the murder on a wild animal attack. However, Reuben, the oldest brother, intervened saying, look, we're not really going to kill him, are we? I mean, go ahead and throw him in this cistern out here, but, but don't hurt him. So when Joseph reached his brothers, they ripped off his fancy dance coat, grabbed him and threw him into a dry cistern, which is basically a big empty hole. After the deed was done, they were sitting down to eat some food. They saw a bunch of Ishmaelites travelling to Egypt. And Judah, the fourth oldest had an idea and he said, boys, what are we going to get out of killing our brother and concealing the evidence? Why don't we sell him to the Ishmaelites? But let's not kill him. He is, after all, our brother, our own flesh and blood. So they all agreed. So they pulled Joseph out of the cistern and sold him for 20 bucks. They took Joseph's coat butchered a goat and dipped the coat in the blood and took it back to their father and said, we found this. Look it over. Do you think it's your son's coat? And he recognised it at once. My son's coat, a wild animal, has eaten him. Joseph's been torn limb from limb. And Jacob mourned his son a long, long time. His sons and daughters tried to comfort him, but he refused and said, I'll go to the grave mourning my son. So Joseph was sold in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's 
officials. Thanks, Peter. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, we are talking about growing pains, and we're going to unpack the story of Joseph over the coming weeks in our new series. But before I get to the story of Joseph, I want to talk for a moment about this idea of growing pains. Uh, I have three sons, uh, and two of the oldest ones all experienced growing pains. Uh, in those nights when they would call out um, and they would you know, tell me that they had pain in their legs or pain in the back of their knees or down into their calves, and they were really quite agonizing moments. And I realized that they needed a few things from me. And the first thing they need was for me to be actually just fully present with them in the moment, to sit on the bed beside them uh, and to, you know, just to let them know that I was there and that I understood. Uh, the second thing they needed from me was a bit of reassurance. They needed to know that the world was not ending in that moment. You see, sometimes kids don't quite have the same pain management ability that we as adults have. They actually need to um, be told that this won't last forever. We as adults might be able to um, whack our shin and we'll bite our lip and endure it uh, and get through it because we know that pain won't last forever. But kids don't actually know that in the same way that we do. Uh, and so that my boys needed me to sit on the edge of the bed and to reassure them this won't last forever. Uh, and the other thing they needed me to do was to put it in context for them, to actually explain to them, this is part of growing. Um, that Your older brother experienced this, and it was just part of the idea of your body growing uh, and straining and, and muscles and ligaments. And I would talk to them about all of those different aspects of growing pains and reassure them and put it in context. Uh, it, and, and sometimes I just needed to kind of distract them out of the moment by saying, sit up, have a drink, flip your pillow over, settle back down and let them know that they will actually get back to sleep. You know, that's, that was how I handled growing pains in my boys, physical growing pains. I guess the other aspect of this is that sometimes we also can have emotional growing pains. But the idea of actually naming it for what it is uh, and actually explaining it in the bigger context would have helped. Now, the story of Joseph it's actually quite a big story. It takes a really large chunk of the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings. Uh, and so it must be pretty important given how much space it takes up in that book. We're going to have a bit of a look at it in detail. So who was Joseph? Well, first off, he was the youngest at that time of 12 brothers. I mean, we could probably just stop there and go, that's a growing pain in and of itself. 12 brothers? I can't imagine living in that context. I actually can't imagine being the parent of 12 boys either. I have three. That's enough. Um, but he was actually in a really difficult context because he was kind of being treated a bit like the favourite. Actually, technically, he was being treated like the firstborn and he wasn't the firstborn. Uh, he was the firstborn of his father's first love, but he wasn't the firstborn in his family. So I'm going to show you the very first passage um, of the story. It's in Genesis 37 and it's verse 1. It says this, Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Cana. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, hang on, Joseph, this is the account of Jacob's family line, Joseph. You know, Joseph wasn't the account of Jacob's family line. What about Reuben? What about all the other brothers? Uh, I guess it gives us a little bit of a hint as to the status that Joseph had in this family, in his father's eyes. 
Jacob saw something special in Joseph and actually gave him a really special coat. Um, Actually, the coat was meant to be something that should have been given to a firstborn. If anybody was going to get a second coat, it should have been a firstborn, not Joseph. A A coat is meant to be the symbol of a double portion, like getting some extra, and that should have been for Reuben, not Joseph. But Joseph got this fancy coat. It was Joseph that had his father's attention, and it was that attention that caused the tension in this family. So what's the deal with the dreams that he had? He had two dreams. Uh, The first dream was this idea of um, him having a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He had a dream that he was out in the field, and they were gathering up the wheat, and his wheat bundle stood up straight, and his brother's wheat bundles um, bowed down to his wheat bundle. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. And then he had a second dream, and that dream were the stars and the sun and the moon, and all of those bowed down to him. And this is what it says. It says his brothers were even more jealous of him. But his father kept the saying in mind. I can't help but wonder if that drove his brothers over the line. It's bad enough that he was telling them about these dreams. But the fact that his father kept the idea in mind must have driven them crazy. Um, It does say that his father hmm, wondered if it was a bit far-fetched. But it does say that his father kept it in mind. And that, that would have driven those brothers crazy. I wonder if there was lots of background conversations among those 12 brothers. A bit like, you know, sitting around the campfire, out in the field, watching the flock, and a couple of the brothers lean in and say, Reuben, you know, when are you going to stand up to father and, and tell him that you're the firstborn and you're the one that should be getting the rights and the privileges? You know, when are you going to say what the rest of us are all thinking? I wonder if those conversations were going on in the background. I guess I expect they were because eventually they got so fed up that they plotted to kill him. And in the end, they didn't actually kill him, but they sold him to some passers-by who were heading to Egypt. So here's Joseph. He'd been thrown into a pit, dragged out of the pit and sold off into slavery in Egypt. He was watching his dreams shrink in the rearview mirror as he was dragged off into the desert. He had purchased those dreams and now they were broken dreams. He'd purchased them hook, line and sinker in his life. I sometimes wonder if maybe he had um, you know, written them down on some parchment and drawn them out and played them over and over in his head and talked about them often and savoured the flavour of them in his mouth and and elaborated them in his mind, you know, because that's what we do with dreams. We actually invest ourselves in them. We purchase them fully. And I suspect that's what he did with those couple of dreams about those people around him bowing down to him. He purchased them fully, but then ended up watching them behind as he walked away. Those dreams got smaller and smaller in the distance as he found himself shackled, cold, hungry, lonely, and heading towards a foreign land. Not quite the dream he'd bought into. Not quite the plans that he'd had. 
I wonder if he said things like, God, this isn't how it should have played out. This isn't how it was meant to be. This isn't what I imagined. Why would you give me those dreams and, and rip them away and rip me away from my family? They'll never come to fruition now. I don't understand. I wonder if that's where he was. I thought a little bit about the question of were those dreams from God or were they dreams, were they dreams of a boy who was a bit overspoiled by his dad? I don't know. We actually don't know. We're not actually told in the text where those dreams came from. But what I do know is at this moment in the story, his dreams were broken and dashed and gone. And he thought perhaps lost for good. I guess we have dreams too. <clears throat> we have things that we imagine for our lives, things that we imagine for our future. Um, we imagine how things will play out in our lives. We do that from when we're little children of when we, um, we dream that we want to be a fireman or whatever it is. My family tell a story that when I was little, apparently I wanted to be a belly dancer. I, I meant a ballet dancer. That was a lost in transition moment, family. But we do have dreams. We have things that we imagine for our future, ways that we want things to play out and we buy into them and we invest in them and we, we put them into our lives and we savour them. But dreams break too. Dreams sometimes fall apart. They might be small things like imagining that you're going to have a birthday party but there's lockdown and you can't and your hopes are dashed. Or it might be thinking that the first 12 weeks of school at home was done and dusted and you survived and you were never going to have to do that again. But you're back and you're in it and it's tough. Or they might be bigger things, like it might be that you didn't get into the uni course that you wanted or your career isn't travelling the way you expect it to or a friendship didn't continue on the way you thought it would or your job has stalled or perhaps you've lost it or it could be big things like relationships breaking down or people, or people dying. Either way, big or small, there is grief, there is loss, and it is sometimes hard, and there are growing pains. And that's the reality. Joseph, his dreams seemed dashed. And I think there might be three reasons why his dreams seemed dashed. The first one is got to remember to push this button, perspective. I actually think he had a slightly wrong perspective. For Joseph, his whole world would have been family, tribe, land, surroundings, the life that he knew. But for God, he has a greater vantage point. He has a much bigger view of the world and he can see the world in the way that Joseph simply can't. God was and is the creator of the whole world. He's ever-present, all-seeing, and can know all things at once. And Joseph simply can't. The second thing is I wonder if Joseph's understand of timing was not quite right. Joseph couldn't see beyond his own time frame. I mean, he was 17. He was barely out of his, you know, not even out of his teen years. Sometimes it's hard to see past next week let alone long into your future, let alone something that might be happening beyond your lifetime. That's actually really hard to see. 
but God can see from the very beginning to the end of time. He can see the very end moment from the creation of the world itself. Before Joseph was even a twinkle in his father's eye, God had already identified a man called Abraham, had a conversation with him, made a deal and a partnership with him, and promised things about his family and his generations that they would number more than the sand on the sea, um, you know, the sand on the beach, uh, and that those generations would go on and be God's people. And something along the lines of that they would actually end up in slavery for hundreds of years. You know, God sees the entirety of it all. And while Joseph was shackled following a camel across the desert, God had already seen far off into the future and was preparing something for Joseph to do that would actually have far-reaching influence into the future. The third thing I wonder is not just perspective and timing, but also intentions. We can't pretend to know the mind of Joseph and what his intentions were, but we can imagine that his intentions were only human. Uh, The goal of most humans is rarely beyond our own pleasure, well-being and comfort. It might extend to those people that we care about around us and sometimes we might even lift our eyes up to the greater good of the world, but certainly not to the level of God's intentions. His mind is always for the greater good of all humanity. And we simply don't have that same intention when we go about our lives. And I wonder if that's where Joseph was. When God's timing seems questionable, when his lack of intervention in situations seems just wrong, when we find ourselves in a place where our dreams are dashed, I don't know about you, but I sometimes feel a little bit afraid, a little bit confused, a little bit alone, a little bit lost, a little bit disappointed in God. And sometimes I wonder what God's doing. What I want to do is assume that what I think is best is what God thinks is best. And what I think is a good intention is what God thinks is a good intention. Surely, surely I could do a better job than God is where my head goes. But we're not God. Our intentions are not the same as God. Our perspective is not the same as God. And our timing is not the same as God's. Isaiah 55 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and your ways are not my ways. Now, in understanding that God is God and we are not doesn't mean we wash the pain away or bury it. It doesn't mean that broken dreams should be easy and easily solved and easily understood and that we can deal with them without any effort. It doesn't mean we can brush them aside, a bit stiff upper lip, stoic, she'll be right, mate, we can do this, everybody's got problems, not a problem, I can handle it, and push it aside. We can't expect anyone to deal with emotional difficulties like that. It would be a bit like saying to a teenager who's just experienced being dumped for the first time, experiencing all the feelings of a lost first love, it would be a bit like saying to them, 
you'll get over it, there's plenty more fish in the sea. That's not going to work because they are just not sure there is life after that moment. We need to be real about pain. We may need to learn to hold things in tension. We need to be real about the pain. We need to be able to name it. What is it? Is it disappointment? Is it shock? Is it hurt? Is it anger? Is it defeat? What is it? And actually name it and be real about it and own it. But we also need to hold it in tension with a loving God and what we know about a loving God. A God who created us and knows us better than anybody else, including ourselves, and can sit really close by us at the same time as be far off and see the entire perspective of the entire universe and every backstory, context, thread, loop. He can do both. That's God. A God who sees all of history and and has the full extrapolation of it in his mind all the time. A God who has the greatest good for all humanity in mind all the time as well as my greatest good at the same time. I do not hold the universe in the palm of my hand. I cannot see the entire space-time continuum in one glance. I just can't. I don't have the good of humanity on the top of my list all the time. I barely have my own self-interests and those of the people around me. I am not God. But I do have pain and it is real. I heard someone say the other day, there is, um, there's a bit of um, shame comparison um, going around. Sorry, not, not shame comparison. Grief comparison and grief shame going around where people are saying, oh, everybody's got bigger issues than me going on. Mine's nothing. Actually, that may not be true. For a year 12 who is faced with the fact that they might not get a school formal, or a graduation, that's big and that's real and that's pain and there's grief and we need to be honest and real about it. Just as much as any other loss, pain and grief that there might be out there. In a dream that was actually really purchased when we really chose to own it, when it's taken away, there is pain. And we need to hold that pain in tension with the promise of who God says he is. This is, uh, actually I won't put the slide up yet because I'm going to read a bigger part of the passage. This is Lamentations chapter 3 and it's verse 16 and onwards. And I reckon this really nails the idea of holding my pain and God in tension beautifully. It says, My teeth grind on gravel. I cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say, my endurance has perished. So has my hope in the Lord. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. It's a beautiful example of holding my pain. It tastes like gravel. 
in my mouth and holding it in tension with the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. We have to learn to hold the pain in tension with the truth of God. It is bad and yet I will trust. So like for Joseph, if we read on to the rest of the story, which we will in the coming weeks, we find out that Joseph's broken dreams actually cause some space for him to grow and he allows God to grow him and to use him for good. Because in the course of time, Joseph went on to not only grow and survive and live, but he actually became a leader who saved a nation from famine. And he went on to be a leader for whom his brothers came to when they were going to die of starvation and he was able to enable their survival. And when those 12 heads bowed down in front of him and those dreams were fulfilled in a way that Joseph could never have predicted, they went on and lived to fulfill the prophecies that were always said about them. And those 12 brothers went on to become the 12 tribes of Israel. And out of one of those tribes of Israel came the tribe of Judah and out of the tribe of Judah, one of those brothers, came a shoot which was eventually the lineage of the line of none other than Jesus himself who went on to save the world and called 12 people to himself who formed the basis of the church and the church went on for generations and generations and generations to teach about who God is and how good he is and who Jesus is and what he did in the world. And eventually that church went on to preach a message in a small town in country Victoria where a girl heard the message and decided to follow Jesus for the rest of her days and trust him no matter what. And that girl went on to grow up and invite her heavenly father, to sit on the bed beside her when the darkest nights of her soul were really hard and she was holding the pain of her life and broken dreams. And he sat beside her and said, it is okay, these are growing pains and I am growing you and it is going to be okay. I don't know what broken dreams you're carrying, but I know what broken dreams I've carried And I know that inviting God to sit beside me in them was the right thing to do. I wonder if hindsight might bring it all into context one day. But in the meantime, I do need to continue to invite God in, to remember the bigger context that this all sits in and trust in his greater good. Joseph's dreams did eventually come to fruition and they were different to how he imagined You see, those brothers eventually came and bowed down before him with a genuine respect of what he could offer them and what he could do for them and who he was. If his dreams had planned out and they bowed down to him at home because he was given the leadership of the tribe, which probably technically wasn't really his in the first place, it would have been a begrudging bow down. But in God's plan, it was a genuine, heartfelt, respectful bow down. And that, that, was, that was important. I read somewhere recently that um, this, is the, this is the line. It said, setbacks are just setups for comebacks. Setbacks are just setups for comebacks. 
I wish I liked it. I'm not sure. I'd like to believe it's true, but it's quite possible that I'm in too many growing pain situations to believe it. There's a lot of hope required in that. I think it's the case for Joseph. The setback was just a setup for an amazing comeback. So I wonder what you'll do. I wonder if you have some parts of your life, like Joseph's, where you have broken dreams. I wonder what it would look like if we called them growing pains. If we called our Heavenly Father to sit by the bed as we told him about the pain and to comfort us and to remind us of the bigger context and remind us of his perspective, to teach us what his angle is, what his plan is. He may not share his plan with us, but he will comfort us. He will sit with us for as long as we ask him to. And he'll grow us. So in my thinking, we really only have three options when it comes to growing pains. We can hold our pain all by ourselves and uh, put all that effort in and strain and risk thinking that God is too big to be of use to us or perhaps that God has abandoned us. Or we can smother the pain and pretend it's not there and just stay who we always were. Or we can try and bring the two into tension to actually bring our pain and bring who God is into tension, that's where the growth is. That's where the real growth is. There's no growth in just holding pain. In fact, we will just get squashed. There's no growth in just pretending away the pain and staying where we were always. But in bringing the two together, there's, there's that tension. And as we hold it, there's growth. We're going to sing a song. It's a beautiful song. But in it, there's a line that says, on the mountaintops and in the valleys, I will praise you. It's easy to praise him on the mountaintops. But in the valleys, like Joseph being dragged away by some slave traders to a faraway land, it's hard to praise him. But if we pull the pain and who God is into tension, then we are able to make a choice and to say, it tastes like gravel, but yet the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. I wonder if you might uh, think about, as we're singing this song, what are the broken dreams, what are the pains, what are the hurts, and actually choose to pull them in and present them to God and say, and yet, in the valleys, I will praise you. Thanks.